0: Hello and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell, I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field, so please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Hello, and welcome to the WCAPS webinar titled The World Is Your Oyster how to build a career in foreign affairs. You are joining this webinar in progress and is featuring Leah Miller, who is a Department of State Career Foreign Service Officer. And both of them have helped me in faith in ways that I never expected to. Um, The other thing that I highly recommend is to get relevant work experience. So when I say that, I mean, While you're in graduate school, during your summers or during your Christmas breaks, if you can somehow land an internship opportunity with an organization that focuses on the fields that you are interested in, if you're interested in, let's say, migration studies or female empowerment, yes. Oh, you want to hear about my background. Sure. Let me finish this point, and then I'll tell you my background. Um, So I suggest that you look for an internship in a relevant field um, with an organization or an institution that has similar... Focus on a similar area that you're interested in. You could look at the State Department. The State Department is one that offers internships. USAID offers internships. You could work for a think tank or a nonprofit organization. Many of them are headquartered in D.C. Um, you could work on, excuse me, <clears throat> work on the Hill for someone for a congressman or woman who works in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. You could um, even work at a, a university in an academic you know, office in the Office of Political Science with a professor who does research into specific areas of international relations and politics. So those are just some of the things that you should try to do. And when you're there, make sure that the people who are hosting you um, are aware that you are capable of doing things more than just making copies, answering phones, and administrative type of responsibilities. You want to really work on the policy if you can. And there are opportunities to do that. So before I go to my, my next point, my next tip, I'll give a little bit about my own background. So, I am a foreign service officer, career foreign service officer, and I came into the foreign service by accident. I say by accident because I always thought I would be in some sort of an international arena. Just because I've always had the traveling bug and I've always been curious about the world and just seeing other ways of life, other ways of thinking, other thought processes. But I always, but my heart is as a social worker. So I started out, you know in undergrad studying social work and African-American studies, African-American studies because I wanted to learn more about myself and I grew up in a homogeneously white environment and all I really learned in secondary school was about slavery, emancipation, the Civil War, and that's pretty much it in terms of African-American contribution to society. And I knew that there was obviously more to it than that and I figured I'd have to teach myself. So I studied African-American studies and social work. From there, I went on to get a master's degree in social work and quickly realized while I was working on my master's degree that I don't really have the heart for social work in terms of being on the front lines, being in the trenches, because at the end of the day, I wasn't really able to help the situation of the kids that I was working with, and I couldn't really live with that. So I felt like what I needed to do was to go back to school and get a degree that would allow me to work more in the administrative part of the social work institution and provide the social workers with the tools and resources they need to do the job. And so I was like, hmm, all right, I need to go back to school, but I don't have any more money. I have younger siblings who are getting ready to go to college, and my parents are going to be spread thin financially. So I decided to look for a scholarship, and lo and behold, the State Department offered a fellowship called the Thomas R. Pickering Fellowship in Foreign Affairs. And that program is what led me to the Foreign Service. I applied. By some stroke of luck, I was selected as a fellow. In that fellowship, it paid for my graduate degree. So as I said, I went back to school and got dual masters in public administration and international relations. And it was all paid for by the State Department. In addition to getting my degrees paid for, I also was able to do internships the summer between the first and second year of graduate school, where I worked in the department in an office of my choosing. And then after I graduated that summer, I worked in an embassy overseas in a public affairs section, which is ultimately the cone within the foreign service that I chose and got some experience in the field. And so that goes to my point of getting relevant work experience, that really was helpful. And then from there, the repayment process is that if you're a recipient of the scholarship, you have to give back about four to five years of service to the Foreign Service in repayment of the costs for your college degree. And so I was like, great, it seems like a guaranteed job. They're going to pay for me to go overseas and I'll learn a language. I get all this great experience, and if I really like it, I'll stay, and if I don't like it, it would be a great stepping stone to launch me into another sector of foreign affairs or international relations. And that's what led me to the Foreign Service, and thankfully, though it hasn't always been easy, I'm not going to lie to you, um, I've enjoyed it enough that I've stayed in. So this year will be my 14th year in the Foreign Service, and I've had a really amazing career. I've served primarily in Latin America and the Middle East and I am going to Eastern Europe for my next assignment. And I chose public affairs because of the internship experiences that I had. I decided initially when I came into the Foreign Service that I wanted to be a political officer, which is a traditional career path, but quickly realized after having had an internship in a public affairs section that it was much more in line with my personality, that even though I have an analytical mind and I like to report and I like to get into the details on issues, I also have a very outgoing personality and I really am energized by meeting people across sectors, not just the elite, not just the powerful, but meeting even the most humble people, you know, people working out in, in the countryside as farmers or people who are working as shoeshine boys on the street. Everyone has a, an important perspective and everyone is our potential audience. And so for me it was much more fulfilling to be a public affairs officer. And that's what I've done and that's what I'm doing right now here in Bolivia. Um, And that's what I'll be doing when I go to Armenia, except instead of focusing primarily on culture, which is what I do here I'll be focusing on both press and culture both of which fall underneath public affairs So that's my story in a nutshell Um, I can tell you some more at the end. I want to leave time for questions So if there are any other questions about that right now, please send them to me and I'll answer them Otherwise, I'll move back into my tips So let me know Okay I'll move on. So my next tip, and there are eight in total, is in addition to getting relevant work experience, you also need to get international experience. So if you're still an undergrad and your school offers a study abroad program or they partner with another university that also offers a study abroad program for a semester or a year, I highly encourage you to take advantage of that option and go study abroad because it will help you get a sense of what it's like to be in a different culture, to be in a different city that's characterized by a more internationally diverse population, or a place where you'll have a whole new experience and you'll be able to learn about yourself whether or not you can cope in the situation that's foreign, where you don't have your friend and family network, where you really are on your own. So I highly encourage you to consider finding a way to do an international experience, and studying abroad is a great way to do that. And coupling relevant work experience with international experience, you could look for internships with an NGO that has an office in another country. Um, I know, for instance, the UN offers internship opportunities and obviously they're global. There are other programs like, uh, like that. There are worldwide nonprofits like Save the Children that have bases all over the world. In fact, there's one here in Bolivia. I know there's one in Ethiopia. There's some in Asia. So there are a lot of options out there and they were always looking for people who are genuinely interested in living and working overseas, working in policy, but kind of in a more in the trenches way instead of more from instead of looking at policy and doing reporting you're actually engaging and interacting with people. And so those are two ways I think that you can achieve those things that will also make you more competitive when you look at trying to be employed within the foreign affairs field. Do you have any questions about that point at this stage? Okay. So the next, the next tip I have is to hone your language skills. Language skills are really critical. And although English is you know, pretty much the lingua Franca now, and everyone is learning to speak English, um, regardless of where you're from or where you intend to work, being able to speak a local language in a country, especially when you're working in international relations, is a major asset. It's definitely something that, you'll make daily use of, maybe not necessarily in your work, if you're working in a multinational or binational institution where probably everyone will speak English, but it will still help you in your day-to-day life, being able to, to navigate the things that you need to survive, you know, knowing where the hospital is, knowing where you can get your food, you know, ordering the food correctly and not getting something that you didn't want. So learning another language can be so, so, so helpful, and the language skills will pay off in multiple ways, Some people see languages as a barrier, but they're also a point that can make you stronger both academically, personally, and professionally. So if you already have a language, I encourage you to refine it or pick up another one. Um, Or if you've always had a curiosity about languages, I think that you could pick a global language and really do well with it, and it will certainly help you in terms of a foreign affairs career. Another prerequisite for most international careers, and my tip number five, is to have excellent organizational skills. Um, In many cases, you'll be working in institutions, including the State Department, where you think you have one specific role, but the expectation is that you can manage your own portfolio and often take on others. Sometimes, if you're in a smaller mission or a smaller institution, you'll be given projects that sometimes fall outside of your area of expertise, so your ability to to do time management and to organize yourself, prioritize things that need to be done will really be critical. Prioritization is, is really crucial. Um, and you need to be able to manage your workload in such a way that you can get your own priorities done, but also that, that have been asked of you to do. So really working, working on your organizational skills can be important and really essential to having a, a good career, one that's not overwhelming and one where you feel like you're actually achieving tangible results. Um, another important tip is, is honing your analytical skills. Um, this can be done in numerous ways. One is obviously through your graduate studies, um, where you're going to be focusing in on a specific area or a specific topic or region of the world. That gives you definitely um, a a level of depth and expertise in a particular area. Um, It will definitely hone your analytical skills, really. Academic training is one of the best ways to hone those skills. But the ability to analyze situations, will utilize all of your academic tools, is critical to to this, this field. Because you're always having to think not only of the policy implications, but what is the other side coming to the table with? What is the outcome that you want to achieve? And what is the outcome that you think the people across the table from you want to achieve? What are the broader impacts of this conversation that you're having, or this deal that you are negotiating? Or if you put out this media statement, um, you know, what, how will it be received? Not only in the domestic media, but also internationally. So you need to be able to think more broadly beyond just the, the theme or the topic itself. And that requires a certain ability to analyze. Um, You need to be able to read and understand articles quickly, understand the key points, understand how to get to the things that are really essential and critical for your superiors and the people that you're serving to know without giving them too much detail where they'll just, you know, their eyes will glaze over and they won't hear you anymore because you're just giving them too much information. You need to be able to use your analytical skills to distill down to the main essential elements that are the most critical. And that's that's a process. Um, So consider ways in which you can hone those skills. One is obviously through academic training, getting a master's degree in a related field, but also by doing relevant work. Not just, as I said, fetching coffee for someone or making copies, but getting involved in, in real work that the institutions are doing during an internship opportunity. The seventh tip I will give is hone your interpersonal skills. I mean, this is above all in any field that you consider. Having interpersonal skills, being able to build and maintain good relationships, especially in terms of the foreign affairs you know, arena between nations or between multiple nations under the auspices of a multinational institution or organization are critical. So one way to work on building your interpersonal skills if this is something that you think is a weakness for you is to start with individuals and in smaller groups. Um, get involved with groups that have similar passions or interests that you do, and find a way to engage with everyone in that group. Um, Challenge yourself to get up and speak on a specific topic within that group. Um, Join an organization like Toastmasters or something like that, where you're forced to talk, you're forced to use analytical skills to make your points and make your arguments persuasive, and to try to bring people around to your point of view. the demand for interpersonal skills is essential because it isn't just relevant to the work that you're doing it is also relevant to the way in which you interact with the other people that you work with your interpersonal skills will help you in terms of how you manage your relationships with the people above you how you manage your relationships with your peers and how you manage your relationships with people that you are responsible for and who report to you so making sure that your interpersonal skills are solid is probably the first and most important of all my tips Interpersonal skills will make or break your career in foreign affairs and really in any career so this is this is something that you should try to focus on um, Early on and while you're in grad school, like I said, it's a perfect opportunity to practice developing those skills by getting involved with small groups or with individuals that maybe fall outside of your your immediate circle of friends and your friends network because that is exactly what you'll be doing in the foreign affairs arena You'll be dealing with people who are basically complete strangers to you, that have a totally different point of view, have stereotypes and things that they think about you, preconceived notions, and you are now all of a sudden responsible for not only making your points and sharing your point of view, but also dispelling those rumors and myths and stereotypes that some of them may hold of you. That could be barriers to your ability to negotiate with, with, the, per, with the person sitting across the table from you. So inner, interpersonal skills is really, if you hear nothing else that I say today, remember international or interpersonal skills is by and then one that i added to this tip which i think to this tip list which i think is also very critical is to find a good mentor maintain that relationship with your mentor and and really my personal recommendation is not just to find one mentor but find several i challenge you to find a mentor who is someone who's a leader in, in the respective field that you want to go into who may seem like they're too busy, but in reality they welcome the opportunity to be a mentor to you and can help guide your steps, can help you talk through application process to get an internship, your application process to get into graduate school, can help talk to you based on their own experiences about pitfalls, things to avoid, and also best practices, things that you could adopt. But I also, for me personally, and what I also recommend is my mentors are people who they run the gamut. I have female mentors, male mentors, other women of color, white males, old, young. And sometimes when people think of a mentor, they think of someone who has more experience than them, someone who's been in the field a lot longer. But I've also found that I learn a lot from my peers and from my subordinates, those that report to me. So mentors don't just have to look like someone who's been in the field for 30 years, who has a PhD and has written numerous books, or you know, they're down there advising you know, people on Capitol Hill to make policy decisions. That would be an excellent mentor to have, but I wouldn't limit yourself to only those people. So the key would be, in my opinion, to find mentors who you think you will learn something from, but something that you can also give to them. The best types of mentor-mentee relationships are two ways. So you're not just taking information from them and taking letters of recommendation from them or using them to get to the next step in your own career, but what can you bring to the table? What can you offer them? And even though you might be an undergrad and think, well, hey, I haven't had that much opportunity to get real experience. I'm still just trying to get my degree, you still have something to offer. And I would challenge you to consider what those things might be. And then make make that part of your pitch when you reach out to someone to, you know, see whether or not they'd be willing or able to mentor you. And the other bit of advice I would give you in terms of seeking mentors is you don't have to just It can be informal. I mean, it could be something where you're building a relationship with that person and it kind of evolves into a mentorship. It doesn't, I know some people are uncomfortable with sort of cold calling somebody or just shooting an email out of the blue to be like, hey, would you be my mentor? That can be super awkward. But I think if you come to the table with, you know, this is what I want to do. This is the area that I think I'm most interested in. And I know that you have done X, Y, and Z. And I'd love to have coffee with you to talk about that. That's a great way to start that type of relationship. And then it is incumbent upon you as the mentee to follow up with that person, reach out to that person, because most of the, the people that you'll seek as mentors are busy. They're busy with their own career. They're likely you know, doing a lot of different things. And it doesn't mean that they're not interested in being your mentor, but their own priority list is always in flux. So as a mentee, I would recommend that you regularly check in with them like, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think about that? Hey, do you want to have coffee next month? Keep it an ongoing conversation and an ongoing relationship. And there are some people who also need to make that you can come to our day retreat. Hopefully, that is a a little bit. Um, So those are my tips. I'm not going but i like your time there, and I'll be um for for that and I'll or something letting me know that you can hear me anybody okay you can hear me now <laughs> great so I don't know where I left off I came in so anybody yeah, let me know you, and I can, can go back and sort of read yeah it. can you hear me Leah? yes, can you hear me yes. Okay. okay but it got a little strange but go ahead yes it is okay so i think okay thank you uh the last point that i made was interpersonal skills and so i don't need to revisit that but my very very last point is finding a good mentor um and as i said before um and i'll say it again i guess for the first time since you didn't hear me um mentors can be not only people who are very established in the field who have been doing work for years who have written books and on TV or our university professors or people advising, people on uh, Capitol Hill. But they can be your peers and they can be your subordinates as well. What you want to look for when you're trying to establish a mentor relationship is someone who is doing the work that you think you might want to do or doing work that you find interesting personally or that aligns with your own areas of interest. And I recommend that you look to those people to be your mentors. Um, as I said before, um, mentors don't just have to be the the top of the top or like the main leaders in the game because those people are going to be very, very busy, which doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be interested in being your mentor. It just means they may be harder to pin down. But I recommend that if you have a specific area of interest, you start by doing a little bit of research, use Google as your friend to look up who are you know leading thought leaders or people who are publishing in that topic that you're interested in and reach out to them and even though I know it can be a bit awkward to sort of cold call someone or send a random email out of the blue I think the way to approach seeking a new mentor is to do it as a you know as another relationship so you write the person an email saying hey my name is Leah I'm really interested in female empowerment through entrepreneurship and I see that you've done a lot of work in this field I'd really love to have coffee with you sometime to talk a bit more about your area of research. And I'm looking to do an internship with X organization on this, on a similar topic. And likely, most people will want to talk to you because it is refreshing to meet someone who shares your interest and who's willing to learn. The other point that I would make about finding a good mentor is make sure that it's a two-way street. Many mentors get burnt out when they have mentees who only want to come when it's time for a letter of recommendation, or when they have mentees that come only wanting them to like look at their resume or give them advice, or put in a call for them with, you know, some organization that they want to intern at. That's all well and good, and that is a big part of the mentor-mentee relationship, but it should be a two-way street. You as a mentee definitely have things that you can bring to the table. A lot of mentors who are more further into their career appreciate hearing from those that are currently studying or newbies to the field because you guys bring a different perspective. You have a different point of view. You have a different opinion about things that can be useful and helpful to the people who are further into their career to be aware of and to take into consideration. And so I think that you shouldn't feel as though just because you're still in school or you haven't had a chance to really do a lot of meaningful work yet that you don't have something to bring to the table you do. Um, and so don't be afraid to, to share that and make the mentor-mentee relationship definitely a two-way one. Um, it shouldn't just be one way. So those are my, my major recommendations for you. Um, I'll go over them again. It was getting a master's in a relevant field try to get relevant work experience, try to get international experience, hone your language skills, build your organizational skills, analyze using your analytical skills, find ways to really deepen and strengthen those. Interpersonal skills, and like I said before, if you hear nothing else that I say, interpersonal skills will make or break you, regardless of what field of study or area you pursue professionally. If you don't have interpersonal skills, you will not succeed. So if that's something that is a struggle for you, definitely find ways to work on that. And then eight is to find a good mentor and make sure that that relationship is is mutual, where you both bring something to the table. And one other point I'd make is, as a mentee, it is your responsibility to maintain that relationship. A good mentor will reach out to you, check in with you every few months, and be like, hey, what's going on? I haven't heard from you in a while. You know, what's new? Is there anything you want to talk about? But it's not their responsibility. You as a mentee are seeking them out for their expertise. You are seeking out them to learn from them you are seeking out them and you're taking time from people who are already very busy so i put the challenge to you as potential mentees you be the one who's reaching out every once in a while be like hey i've been thinking about this or hey i know you're working on a project over there or i just met this really cool person who's working in the same field you know each other you need to put in a little bit of effort don't just come when it's when you need something um, it is a relationship, so just remember that. And I think the relationship will be much more fruitful for both of you. And you'll gain so much more from it. And it will also be long-term. Because some of my mentors are people who have been in my life since I was in your shoes as an undergrad trying to figure out what do I want to do and what does foreign affairs even mean. And they've remained my mentors since that time. And we've grown, we've grown together throughout the years. Um, the other thing that I would say is, and this is a point I made, but you probably didn't hear me, was that your mentors should be really diverse. And I suggest not seeking one mentor, but have several. Your mentors can be someone who looks like you, but I have personally white male mentors, black female mentors, non-black or white Asian mentors, I have Latino mentors, I have both male and female, and not all of my mentors are people who are more advanced or more senior in their career. So you can find mentors in different places, so you don't have to feel like you have to stick to the script of finding someone who's like a former ambassador, even though that would be amazing, Um, but it can be someone who's still a rising career officer who's worked for 10 years in a specific area or in a field that you are interested in. Sometimes that person is even a better mentor because you guys can still grow and move together in the career, Um, and they're still working in the same arena that you are, and I find that sometimes those relationships are very useful, and you learn a great deal from them. So those are my tips on finding a good mentor. I have more information for you, but I do want to leave time for questions and you know, your, your thoughts. So I'll stop there and let you guys check me with whatever questions or topics you have. Leah, can you hear me? This is Zeronique. Yes, I can. Um, so I tried to type a question earlier, but I would rather say it if it's easier. Um, It's about those interpersonal skills and being a person of color. Say that one more time. I only heard part of your question. It's about uh, the interpersonal skills you were talking about and preconceived notions um, and coupled with being a person of color. Um, I just want to know about um, your experience or any tips, because oftentimes um, even the person of color with the strongest of interpersonal skills Often is coming up against those preconceived notions and what they're presenting might be very differently perceived based on those things. And I'm not talking about a person who still needs to work on them, but legit, like you have solid interpersonal skills um, What's being perceived and what's being received is not necessarily what you're giving off, um, what you're purposely giving off. So how do you navigate that and what are some ways in which some experiences you might have that might shed some light on that for us? Sure, that's a great question and you're exactly right. I feel like you can be, you have the best interpersonal skills in the world and still the message that you're sending is not the message that's being received. The person who's perceiving you is receiving you through the lens of your gender and the lens of your skin color and the lens of your age. And so I've gotten to a point now in my career where I let my work and my actions speak for themselves and I don't fight every battle. So if I feel as though the person is not hearing me, even if I repeat myself numerous times in numerous different ways to make my same point, I realize that that is maybe a no-win battle. And so I try to just approach it in some other way. For instance, in in the case of that person, I might send them an email or send it to them in writing where they can just read it and it's sort of devoid of any context that I'm giving them personally. Um, And also, I've just decided, that at some point I just don't care. Like, I'm not here to educate other people about me. They can either deal with me on a professional level and accept me as I am, or I'll just find a way to work with them differently or work with somebody else. And I have had experiences in my career where that's that's different. Like, I, unfortunately, in many cases, are still either the only female or the only female of color in the room or the only person of color in a room. And I know automatically when they see me, they see black women, they see dreadlocks, they think they know me. And they don't. And so I have to decide, is it worth my time to try to educate them, or do I just stick to the facts and talk about what I'm there to talk about? And depending on who it is and depending upon the audience, I make that decision each time. But I can say, as an early officer in my career, I was a female color in situations where I'm managing people for the first time. I'm having like 50, thank you, Leah, snaps to you too, um, 50 or more people who are all older than me, more experienced than me, and probably thinking, what does this girl have to offer? So I realized that very early on, and I took the tactic of, you guys are the experts. I'm just here to help you navigate your relationship with the rest of the mission and make sure that the rest of the mission understands the work you do and values you. So it immediately positioned me as their ally, their support, and they saw, even though I didn't have as much experience as they do, and I was a female and I was young, that I could hold my own. And those relationships have become some of the most meaningful manager, supervisee relationships that I've ever had because my work spoke for itself. So sometimes you just have to accept upfront that people are going to hold these notions about you, but you can't worry about that because that is not your problem, that is their problem. And let your work and your actions speak for themselves. And, like I said, I'm at the point, too, in my career where not everybody is worth my time. I'm not going to worry about trying to change somebody's mind or show them that I'm not like what they see on television um, in order to get them to accept me or work with me in a different way. In my view, I'm going to judge that person because if they're basing their perceptions of me on what they've seen on TV or what they see in popular culture, then that lets me know right off, right off the bat where they are. And I'm not going to worry about them, I'm just going to deal with them professionally. I'm going to work with them as I would with anybody else and let my work speak for itself. Thank I hope you that your I'm kind so of sure, that's but, thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Any other questions? I'm happy to answer them. Mm, I can't hear you very well. Is there a way to, speak up a little louder or turn your volume up or maybe someone can transcribe what she's saying since her her microphone seems low is it possible to type in the question If anybody else can hear her, can you just sort of parrot what she's saying so that I can hear you because I really can't hear her. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just can't hear her. Is she speaking anymore or has she stopped? Does anyone else have a question? Uh, Sorry, uh, can you give me your phone number, please? Phone number? Okay. I don't know. Are there other questions? About any any of the eight tips or any other aspects of anything? Because I certainly have more information that I could quickly share before our time comes up. Especially in relation to getting... um, professional relevant work experience and also getting international experience. I have some suggestions about different um, institutions to look into and to consider, which I'd be happy to share. Oh, okay. Sure, I'll share. Okay, so what I know best and what I can speak about best is the Foreign Service, because it's undoubtedly the best known international career when it comes to foreign affairs, international affairs, national security, and peace. Um, The State Department really is the first line of our national security and defense apparatus. Most people think of DOD first, and they rightly should, because DOD plays a large role in our national security. But actually, the State Department has a first line, because we are the most global and we are the most um, broad in terms of our presence internationally. And our national sections, in particular, are the first line of national security. To learn a little bit more about the, the State Department, you can just Google it. Um, I would also suggest looking at USAID, who is very much a sister institution of the State Department. But the Foreign service is a very attractive career and it's an extremely rigorous process um, to get in. About before the hiring freeze under Tillerson and the current administration, um, there would be about 12,000 people every year taking exams, to and only 200 people actually got in. So it, it can be quite um, challenging to get in, but not impossible. And also, if you remember what I said about the Pickering program, there are other ways in. So one of the benefits of becoming a fellow, both of the Thomas R. Pickering Fellowship Program and also the Charles B. Wrangell Fellowship Program, which is another program started by Senator Charles B. Wrangell to get more people of color, minorities, women, into the foreign affairs arena. And it very much mirrors the experience of a Pickering Fellowship. The difference is, as a Pickering Fellow, you do two internships with the State Department before you join as an officer. But with the Rangel Fellow, you do one internship on the Hill and one with the State Department. The difference with the Rangel Fellowship is that they want you to understand how Congress works, because we as an institution, as a department, are always trying to get congressional support, get congressional understanding of what we do and to value it, because many times, Congress is more focused internally as they should be to make sure that we have our stuff together in the United States. But sometimes they turn a blind eye to what's happening in the foreign policy arena, which is why Charles Rangel, Senator Rangel, thought it was especially important for for the State Department to sync up better with Congress. And one way that they do that is to have an annual influx of future diplomats passing through Capitol Hill doing relevant internships. So that's another one to look into. Other government agencies to consider, in terms of getting relevant experience, in addition to the State Department, and I've already mentioned USAID a number of times, would be um, CIA, um, National Security Agency, even DHS. Um, The Defense Department, DOD, does hire civilians occasionally, and they do offer internships. So if you're interested in looking sort of at the role that the military plays in foreign affairs and international relations, there are opportunities to do that. Um, The CIA does have internships as do the national security agencies um, that I already mentioned, including, um, let me see here, what did I write down? Oh, consider agriculture, commerce, justice. All of them have international legal issues or an international branch or focus. So if you know you want to be an economist or focus on the economy, trade, commerce, all of those are areas to consider. Um, If you're interested kind of in multilateral work, I would look at the United Nations. New York City, I'm from there, so already I'm going to big it up. It's an amazing place to live, a great place to be in summertime, um, a great place to be at any time. And it'll expose you to the world of the United Nations and working in a multilateral way. And the beauty of the United Nations is that they're global, as I mentioned. Um, So you could get your foot in the door by doing an internship in New York, which is one of the larger hubs of the UN and where the General Assembly always meets and find your way into a specific area that the UN covers or into another one of their branch offices somewhere in the world. Um, another uh, two offices that I forgot to mention under US federal government agencies are the XM Bank, which is the Export-Import Bank, as well as the Office of the Special Trade Representative. So again, if you're kind of an economist, interested in commerce, interested in trade, interested in entrepreneur, entrepreneurial endeavors, that may be a place to consider or start looking at for places where you could apply for internships. Um, I mentioned in the private sector, uh, or I'm going to mention in the private sector, there are many, many, many opportunities inside the Beltway. When I say Beltway, I mean basically in DC. Um, A lot of the private sectors that focus on foreign affairs in particular base themselves in DC because that's where the center of our government is. That's the seat of power. So they're there because they're likely lobbying Congress, the White House, and other government agencies to promote their interests, their business interests. So if you're looking for the opportunity to work in private sector, consider looking at um, companies that are based in Washington. For instance, even Google, Amazon, Netflix, Skype, all of those electronic and social media firms all have locations in DC, which is where they do their, their foreign policy advocacy, it's where they do public affairs, and they're always looking for people who want to work in terms of promoting private business interests in the foreign affairs arena, which is part of what we do in the State Department. We're, when we're overseas, we're always looking for ways to promote American business and to create opportunities for American business to grow and thrive and to create jobs. So that's another thing to consider. You could also, you could also look at big corporations like Coca-Cola or you know Exxon or any of the other companies that I mentioned, Facebook, Amazon, things that are global, because they have offices all over the world, and they're always looking for people to staff them, especially interns. And you'll get a chance to explore international affairs and foreign affairs issues, because that's the purpose of why they're there. They're there to try to figure out the local market. Sure, the difference between what? I couldn't see the question. You can just say it. So just resend your question or say say it, and I can explain the difference between Whatever it is that you want me to differentiate, because I didn't see the end of your question. So, if you're less interested in commerce and business and more sort of interested in uh, nonprofit-type work, social social growth endeavors, reaching out to um, to people who are in populations or living in countries where there is a bit more need, you might want to consider going in the private sector, but nonprofit side. So you could look at organizations like. Oxfam or Catholic Relief Services, the Red Cross, Amnesty International, um, different things like that. Uh, A lot of these organizations have very small permanent staff based in their offices around the world, so they are always looking for and in desperate need of interns that are willing to go there um, and help them with the very important work that they're doing. Differences between, it doesn't show me the whole question, then why don't you just say it? Have you found it difficult to work in the foreign service? Yes. All right, so I'll answer Leah's question until I see Ben's because it cut off halfway through. So have I found it difficult to work in the foreign service? Yes, I have. Um, it's, not, it's not an easy institution to be a part of because it is extremely competitive. It's the type of institution where you either rise in rank or you're forced out. So you're always competing with your peers. And of course your peers are the same people that you're living and working with. They're your friends. But at the end of the day, they're also your competition. And that can be a bit of a a cultural shift, something that you have to deal with. Um, And it is difficult, too, even though I love being overseas, I thrive being overseas, I don't mind being away from home. But definitely that's a part that I always struggle with because I miss weddings. I miss people's anniversaries. I'm missing birthdays. I'm missing babies being born. Um, I'm unable to get to every reunion. And that can be hard because, you know, thank God for social media, I'm able to keep track of people's lives. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as important or it's not as meaningful as actually being there and showing up in person. There's still something to be said for that. And that's really hard to deal with sometimes. Like when um, you know, my best friend is getting ready to get married and I miss her, her bridal shower, that's tough. You know, I really don't want to have to miss those things. But this type of lifestyle sometimes requires that you sacrifice those things in order to enjoy the other benefits of being overseas. Thankfully, that doesn't happen all the time, Um, but it is challenging and it's something that you'll struggle with at all points of your career from being an entry level all the way up to the ambassadorial level. You just miss out on certain things and that can be tough. The other thing that has been a struggle, like I said earlier, was these stereotypes and these preconceived notions that people have of me as a female and especially as a female of color, looking at me like, who does she think she is? Well, she couldn't possibly know anything, assuming that I'm from the streets assuming that i don't have any relevant experience or because i have dreads that all of a sudden i'm a druggie or i smoke weed and and all of these preconceived notions like she's only here because of affirmative action i did experience some of those types of attitudes when i first joined my career but like i said earlier i i don't get caught up in, in people's drama and their their preconceived notions i let my work speak for itself and i've been very fortunate to have a very successful career and many of those people who I would say they are naysayers or haters, which is basically what they are, have either been forced to retire, have been punished, have been sidelined, because clearly their problem isn't just with me. They're, they have problems in general. And I've been very you know able, I've taken those experiences and decided that you know not only am I going to deal with it on an individual personal level, but I'm also going to work with the institution to make the overall work environment in the State Department a better one for everyone. So I've been on numerous task forces within the State Department to talk about diversity and social inclusion initiatives, equal opportunity. Um, I've served on diversity panels for newly, you know, new officers, newly minted officers at at the Foreign Service Institute, which is the training facility for new officers. And like I said, it isn't always easy, but I've learned to make lemonade out of lemons and I also realize there's no perfect job. There's no perfect employer. So some of these issues that I face in the Foreign Service, I would face working anywhere. So you just kind of have to be aware of that when you take the job. The difference in this job, though, is the challenge of the fact that your life is not U.S. based. You're based overseas and you're constantly moving. And if you have a hard time dealing with change or if you have a hard time being able to operate in the gray area, that's what I call it, where you don't have necessarily defined objectives, you don't have a deadline, you don't know exactly when you're going to leave, you don't know what your portfolio is going to be, then this may not be the best job for you because sometimes you have to work in – in ambiguous situations, which is not easy for everyone. So I feel like to be really successful in this job, first and foremost, you need to be comfortable in your own skin, know who you are and be comfortable with that. Have self-confidence and don't worry about what other people think about you. Let your work speak for itself and be able to know that wherever you go, like my attitude has been, wherever I am, that's home. So wherever I live in the world, I'm gonna make that home for me and try to live the happiest and my best life that I can have when I'm there. And whenever I miss people, I try to, you know, contact them. I go home and, you know, I, I take vacation as often as I can because I'm a big believer in work-life balance as well. So I work hard so that I can play hard. And so I think that's, that's an attitude that will bode well for me in any career that I take. Um, so, yeah, it isn't always easy, but it's, it's, it's been more fulfilling than not because as soon as it gets to the point where it's too much, I'll find something else to do. I think I have time for maybe one more question, and then unfortunately we need to wrap up. Um, Sorry, Leah, can you just ask your question because it cut off halfway. You're welcome. You're welcome, Bianca. It's an important thing, and you definitely need to hear that. Shifts in government? Ah, yes. Okay. So this is a good question, Um, and I think I'll make this my last one. But the other thing that I can say is, um, like, if you have more questions for me once this is over. um, you can call me, email me. I'm happy to continue the conversation with, with anybody afterwards about any aspect of this. But I'll just wrap up by saying the good news about being a career Foreign Service Officer is that regardless of who's in power, whether it be a Republican or a Democrat, principally the work that I do day to day doesn't change. Um, I chose public affairs specifically for that reason because regardless of who's in power, you know, supporting youth supporting women supporting entrepreneurship offering English language creating opportunities for exchange and dialogue talking about important issues like LGBT awareness um, Diversity and social inclusion thankfully our values that are much more um, Universal than one administration or another and thankfully my day-to-day work doesn't change the only time that it becomes challenging is when leaders are making interesting policy statements, either through Twitter or however they choose to do it, and then I'm the one who's over here and I have to explain it to the audience. And sometimes that can be difficult, especially if I don't agree with it personally. But you have to find that balance within yourself between your own personal politics and your job. And if you find that you're struggling with promoting the politics of the administration that's in power, just find a different avenue until that administration is gone. Or pick a cone like mine, Public Affairs, where Regardless of who's in power, the day that I get to do doesn't change, and, that, and those are the things that I can talk about and be proud of. Be proud of, basically. So I know we're out of time. I, I respect your time. Thank you so much. Please do email me, contact me, um, tweet me, send me a message, and I'm so so happy to to speak to any of you again, go into more detail about any of these points. And please forgive me for being late. I don't understand what happened with my internet, but We got here. We did it. So thank you all so much. Thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit wcaps.org. That's W-C-A-P-S dot org.